So we've got our guests from the harbour. They are out in Rhinedale. If you haven't been out to that facility, it's the Covenant Church facility now. The Covenant Church was able to purchase it and they're the looking after it, running it, scheduling it. They run Headwaters. I think you're going to learn a bit about that tonight, this morning. And yeah, we're just welcoming, welcome. We're glad to have you here and sharing what God's got on your heart for us tonight. Right. Can you guys hear me? Is this on? Okay. I was fighting this as I was standing in the front. We had a little conflict going on, me in this headpiece during uh, worship. So hopefully I make it. If not, I might have to grab the handheld. It kept falling off my ear, which is funny because I have an abnormally large head. So I usually don't have issue with things falling off my head. So I just like to think I have extra, extra brains, you know. That's how I like to position it. And I got to turn this on. It's so good to be here with you guys this morning. As Daniel shared, my name is Mark Hagen, and my wife Jessica and I are the executive directors of the harbor at Ryandell. We moved out three years ago, October of 2020, right when we thought, oh, COVID's going to blow over. We'll be, you know, no issues going into spring 2021. What a ride it has been, both with COVID and with rodents and all sorts of fun things we've been discovering. I have stories I could share. I jokingly said, we moved out here. We knew we were called to some form of missional work. I just didn't think it was going to be third world style missions where I have skunks under my house spraying in the middle of the night and I'm trapping rats coming from Alberta. It has just been, it's been quite the ride and quite the journey, but you know what? It all makes good stories. This morning, as, as before we get started, I'm going to share, um, I'm actually going to share a little bit about our ministry and then I'm going to dive in, but I just wanted to thank the worship leaders this morning. It was less and... Who's the other lady that was sharing? Lyle, sorry, Lyle and, and Tasha. Thank you for that offering this morning. That was a gift. Like, Lyle came out, th- the t- countdown clock was at three minutes, and he's like, what song should we do? And we were throwing out songs, ideas, and he wanted stuff from the, like, late 90s. And so I don't know, Lyle, maybe that's just your era and your vintage. Um, Hey, I, 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 we were, I was singing those songs back in that era too. And one of the song ideas I shared with him was a song called Come Now is the Time to Worship, uh, which actually just celebrated its 25th year. And if you know the backstory of that song, the backstory of Come Now is the Time to Worship is the writer is Canadian um, worship leader and songwriter Brian Dirksen. And he had moved to England uh, to work with Vineyard Music. And he was going over there, and they'd had, a, uh, they'd had a child born with what's called Fragile X Syndrome, special needs kid, very intensive and hands-on. And they went to England, and they just felt God calling them to have another child. So him and his wife got pregnant. They had another child, and it too was born with Fragile X Syndrome. And so Brian Dirksen shares the story of the birth of that song, Come Now is the Time to Worship, is born where he's standing on a street corner in downtown London, and he says, God, you have led me from my country. You've led me from my people. I have no money. I have two kids that are special needs. I'm done. I'm out. If this is how good you are, it's over. And all of a sudden, he hears it. Come Now is the time to worship. Come, now is the time to give your heart. That song 
is born not out of perfect worship, but out of pain and out of imperfection. And he hears the angels singing it. And that is, the, Brian would talk about, that is the song seed that birthed. It's probably his most well-known song that is sung around the world. This morning as we were worshiping, God doesn't look for our worship to be perfect. He looks for it to be authentic and real. And thank you for the gift this morning of leading us in authentic and real worship. That was a gift for me. So I just, I wanted to speak that. That was a gift. Thank you guys for three minutes before stepping in and leading from the heart. So, yes, as Daniel shared, I'm the executive director of the Harbor at Ryandell. We are affiliated with the Covenant Church, so we are your mission friends. We are located in Ryandell, which is, you know, a ferry ride away. We came across on the ferry this morning, which is not fun when it's like minus 20 out. That was cold and the car is frosting over. But my wife and I moved out here with a heart and a passion for young adults. So we planted what's called Headwaters Discipleship. Headwaters Discipleship is a two-month intensive young adult discipleship school that runs every May and June for young adults aged 19 to 30 years of age. We just have a real heart for seeing young adults really become connected with Jesus. Um, and I, I've been hearing some stats uh, recently about young adults, particularly in their involvement in the church. And young adults, um, there's some stats out there that says about 50 to 70% of young adults leave the church upon their first year, going to their first year university. 50 to 70% are leaving the church and subsequently the faith um, after going to their first year of university. And the reason they're giving for that is that they don't find the person of Jesus compelling. How do we take Jesus in this moment, in our culture, and all this going on, and make him boring? That's actually led me to reflect a lot about um, kind of revival movements in the history of scripture. Um, and I, I found myself kind of resonating with the story of Josiah. Do you guys know the story of King Josiah in the Old Testament? King Josiah is born from a dad who did evil that was in the sight of the Lord, a grandfather who did evil in the sight of the Lord. But Josiah has this crazy revival of the heart. And his revival is so strong of his own heart that it actually says in scripture that never before or after him was there a king that turned with all his heart to the Lord like Josiah did. And because of all the evil that Israel was doing at that time, child sacrifice, all these things, God was bringing Babylon in to take Israel into exile for what they had been doing. But because of Josiah's revival, God actually bans time. He hits the pause button on this incoming exile. Okay? Now, the reason I've actually been thinking about Josiah is because I've actually been thinking about the four young adults that went into the heart of Babylon and stood up to the heart of the empire of that day, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, and Daniel. These four young adults, we know the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. If you don't know that, they are led before the statue of Nebuchadnezzar and they are commanded, bend the knee, worship my image. And they say no, and they're taken to the fiery furnace. They're given an out, an opportunity before they're thrown in. And they said, whether or not God saves us, we're not bending our knee. We're not forming and shaping our hearts to the image of Nebuchadnezzar. 
Where do these three young adults get the courage to stand up in a moment when this culture is trying to shift and shape them to another narrative? And they say, we're not going to do this. There's similarities, isn't there? And King Dan- or, or in Daniel as well. Like Daniel, it talks about 70 years later, he is praying and he's still shaping his timeline around the worship calendar and the time in Jerusalem. 70 years he's been gone from Israel. Where does he have his heart formed and shaped? These four young adults are the children of the revival of Josiah. If you trace that back, they are shaped and formed by King Josiah, whose heart was transformed. And so as we lead young adults, and this isn't my message, I'm just, I'm, I'm just, I'm just, I'm sharing with you, we need to reach their hearts. Lyle, you said that this morning. It's our hearts. And so we call ourselves, Headwaters Discipleship is a school for the heart. Headwaters is a metaphor because the creek that we live along, if, uh, if you were to come uh, to the harbor, we have Tamil Shanter Creek that flows through our property. And up above, I had the opportunity this summer to hike up to Plaid Lake, which is the headwaters to our creek. And one of our uh, kind of staff students um, this year wanted to be baptized, so I was able to baptize him up there, which is just another story in itself. Incredible. But anything that happens at Plaid Lake affects everything downstream. That creek that goes through our camp that flows into Kootenai Lake, it is the same as our hearts. Everything that happens in our hearts affects how we interact, how we view the world, how we speak. And so that's why we are so passionate at Headwaters about discipling a generation and and, and young adults and help shape and form their hearts so they can, like John 15 says, remain in Jesus, that they can learn to abide in him. And so we do that through the arts. This year, we're really excited. We're adding a pottery department. I just ordered four new pottery wheels. And so we're going to have a potter coming on and teaching young adults pottery. Not because I really am passionate about creating artists, although that's a side benefit, but it's actually in the process of centering a clay on the wheel. There are things that start to come out of my heart because I can't YouTube that. I have to ask for help. Someone has to come alongside me and show me how to do that. And in imperfections and the anger and the frustration that comes out of that, Jesus wants to speak into that. So that's a little story of our our discipleship school. I would love to share more about that with you. Um, Maybe at the end of my message, we can play. I have a video. It's a student testimonial, so we can show you a little bit of that um, at the end. That feels like more of a natural uh, transition time. But anyways, that's a little story of our, our discipleship school. So... You guys seem like an interactive crowd. Can I ask for a volunteer to read some scripture this morning? Is there someone? Yes. Do you want to come? Okay. And can you read Lamentations 3, 1 to 26? And I'm going to warn you, this is a mouthful and it's, it's a good chew. But can you read that for us? Sorry, what was your name? Marina. Marina, can you read that? Yes. Awesome, thank you. Okay. Oh, yeah. I am the man who has seen affliction under the rod of his wrath. He has driven and brought me into darkness without any light. Surely against me he turns his hand again and again the whole day long. He has made my flesh and my skin waste away. He has broken my bones. 
He has besieged and enveloped me with bitterness and tribulation. He has made me dwell in darkness like the dead of long ago. He has walled me about so that I cannot escape. He has made my curtains heavy. Though I call and cry for help, he shuts out my prayer. He has blocked my ways with blocks of stones. He has made my paths crooked. He is a bear lying in wait for me, a lion in hiding. He turned aside my steps and tore me to pieces. He has made me desolate. He bent his bow and set me as a target for his arrows. He, is, he drove into my kidneys the arrows of his quiver. I have become the laughingstock of all peoples, the object of their taunts all day long. He has filled me with bitterness. He has sated me with wormwood. He has made my teeth grind on gravel and made me, uh, made me cover in ashes. My soul is bereft of peace. I have forgotten what happiness is. So I say, my endurance has perished. So has my hope from the Lord. Remember my affliction and my wanderings, the wormwood and the gall. My soul continually remembers it and is bowed down within me. But this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in him. The Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the soul who seeks him. It is good that one should wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. Thank you for reading that. I think you should get a gold star for reading that passage. That is, that's, that is a mouthful. It's a hard chew. Let me open with prayer. Father, I thank you that you are here. You, ever, you say wherever two or three are gathered in your name, you are there in their midst. And so God, we want to recognize that you are here. Holy Spirit, would you use the meditations of my heart and the thoughts of my mind to glorify you and to encourage your people into greater following of you. Amen. My family and I um, recently, is this working? How do I, do I just hit the plus button? Third one down. There we go. My family and I, so that's my wife, Jess, and you can see she's up in the front here. My, my kids, Weston, Brody, and Annika, we recently got to go on a trip to Disneyland. Has anyone here been to Disneyland? Okay, a few people have been here. That is chaos. It's awesome. But like, I, and when we went down to California, we didn't actually realize there's two parks. There's like the traditional Disneyland, which has Dumbo and all that stuff. And then there's the other park, which is called California Adventure. So on our drive down, like this was before California had gotten any rain. I don't know if you remember, like a year ago, they were having all those atmospheric rivers. And we're driving down and every river is dry. 
Like we're going over bridges and it's just dust. And I'm thinking, we're going to have perfect weather. Like these guys haven't had rain in like 30 years, it looks like. It is just a drought of epic proportions. And so we had two days to go and, and do this trip to Disneyland because we pulled our camper in November, camping in the middle of Oregon in November, um, all the way down the coast. We made it there. And so we wake up the morning, we're going to go to Disneyland, and my phone starts, ding, wind warning, ding, rain warning, ding, flood warning. I'm like, what is going on? And so we, we go to our first day at Disneyland, and it is like torrential rain. It is pouring it's, but it was awesome. We had a really, really fun time. Now, just pause game, stick with me. You're like, why is he telling me about his trip to Disneyland? What's this got to do with that passage of scripture we just read? It'll all connect. Just, just ride this out with me. So, so we, we go and we got to do the Star Wars rides. It was so fun. This one fun, funny story, we did Thunder Mountain. If you've been there, it's this like train. You go up, it's like a roller coaster. And we're waiting at the train station. And the, the rain had let up a little bit. And so we're kind of, the, the people in front of us got on the, uh, the train. And they take off. And they're going, and all of a sudden, the heavens open up, and it is like torrential downpour. And they pull into the train station, and we're getting ready to load. And I literally, everybody got off, and there was this one lady it was just like, and there's makeup everywhere, trauma all over her face. And I'm sitting here thinking, and I'm paying for this? It was wild. We got on, had a great time. So first day, Disneyland, awesome. Second day, now, just as a background, my wife is a, a preparer. She loves to plan. We had the full plan of like, hit rope drop, we are going to Galaxy's Edge, Star Wars, we're hitting these rides at this time. It was all planned and detailed. But day two, Disneyland California Adventure Park, which is another park, we didn't have as much of a plan. You know, we just like, oh, so we just like, oh let's just kind of wing this one. And so, you know, we were walking around. We did have a couple rides we wanted to do, which of course they were down for maintenance. And so we walked into Avengers Campus and, uh, and we didn't have a plan for this, but it was like, oh, that's a really tall building. That's Guardians of the Galaxy. That ride looks fun. We should do that ride. So we hop in line, no idea, no research on this ride, and we get in the lineup. And again, if you've been to Disney, a lot of the rides have warnings. It's like, if you have kids, you shouldn't ride this thing. Or if you're little, or if you're pregnant, or if you're gluten-free, you shouldn't go on this ride. It's like, there's warnings for everything. But this ride, somehow, we, we were standing in line, and I don't know what it was, we missed all the warnings. Okay. So I remember, and no research, we have no idea what we're getting into. We get in this ride, and I remember you sit down, and, and they kind of, I don't know, there's this little video playing, and all of a sudden the whole car moves straight back, and all of a sudden you feel something lock, and then there's a little video rocket the raccoon, if you know Guardians of the Galaxy. He's ripping up wires, and then he plugs one, look, let's get this party started, boom, we drop 10 floors. Boom, we shoot up 14 floors. Then you're sitting there and the whole thing's shaking, the gates open and this little video, and then you draw, boom, and we are like, like we are a James Bond cocktail where we are shaken, not stirred. We are up and down. It is the wildest ride I have ever been on in my life. Now, I'll give you a little context, words I would not use to describe my wife. Thrill junkie, uh, adventure addict, uh, you know, we are riding this ride Okay, and I'm in the, it's my, me, my, my son Wes and my son Brody, and Jess and Annika are sitting in front of us, and we're shaking, and the video's going, and you know you're going to, I don't know if we're going up or down, because it's all this dark, like, 
elevator tube. She turns around and looks at us and she's like, we are not doing good. And I have no control at this moment, okay? Like, there's nothing I can do. And so it was so funny because the lady, and like, she, she's crying. She's breaking down, not doing well. Annika's screaming. And the lady next to him leans over to try and console him. And then we drop 14, ah, 14 stories. It's the most insane ride of my life, okay? I later found out this ride, they actually, you don't free fall because free falling isn't fast enough. So it sucks you down. So you're on a cable system to give you more of a, like, oh my goodness, feeling of weightlessness. It was wild. Now, the best part of this is that they take your picture while you're on this ride. So here we go. So if you can see here, let's see, do I got to zoom up? There we are. There's Jess. She's crying. There's Annika. There's that lady that had tried to console her. I'm sitting there panicked because I can't do nothing about this. The only one that's having fun is my son Brody, who I would describe as an adventure uh, addict. It was nuts. Now, I want to talk this morning about remembrance, because this is a story that we remember. We actually just, my parents gave us for Christmas this year, they're taking us to Disney World, right? And we now know this tight ride used to be called the Tower of Terror, which would have been a way better descriptive like, of what the ride is rather than Guardians of the Galaxy Breakout. But we now know we are not going on the Tower of Terror ever again. It was the scariest ride of our life. But we've been sharing stories and laughing and all these things. Because now we're able, like, well, I should give the end of that story. We literally got off that ride and we walked for an hour around Disney California Adventure Park processing the trauma of what just happened. And we literally got on the like Little Mermaid, which is like the most like G-rated ride. It's just like you sit in this shell and spin around. And I'm waiting for the bait and switch. When's Ursula coming? When are we dropping or you're launching us? I have I have no trust. But but as we as we've shared these stories and we remember, uh, you know, it's it's fun to laugh. But this morning I want to talk about that. Why why do we need to remember? Why do we need to look back on events like this? I've often been described by friends and family as a visionary, and if you hang out with me long enough, you'll realize that. I love to dream about what could be. So I live in the posture of looking forward and seeing what could be, but not yet. These are gifts that have served me well as I'm serving at the harbor. We're launching Headwaters Discipleship. And if you know a little of our story, we also were given the church in Ryandale. The community gave it to us. And we've converted into a coffee shop roastery as well. And so as a visionary, though, I love to look forward. But it's not natural for me to look back. So just, just under a month ago, we celebrated a holiday. What holiday was that? Christmas, Okay. And then we had another holiday after that. What was that? And it's not Boxing Day. <laughs> New Year's. There is this period of time between Christmas and New Year's, and I'm a sports fan. I love, I'm from Saskatchewan originally, so I'm a big Rough Riders fan. But there's always all the sport networks come out with the top 10 plays of the year, where all the, all the different things are talking about what's happened this last year, right? It's remembering there's this period between Boxing Day and New Year's where we're looking back and remembering the year. And so this morning, again, I want us to sit with the question of why do we need to remember? Why do we need to look back? 
Now, most of you guys don't know my story at all. All you know is you're Mark from the harbor. That's just what we found out, and you like to have a good time and laugh and go on crazy rides at Disney and take your family with you. But part of my story actually was I lived in Alberta for quite a few years. Um, I was born in Saskatchewan, moved to Alberta. I met my wife. She's originally from Smithers, BC. She's a hockey player. She was going to university and she was on the women's hockey team there. And we met in a church small group, ended up getting married. And we worked at a Bible college there called CLBI, Canadian Lutheran Bible Institute. And so we were both on staff there when we were early married. And I was the admissions officer there and also helping out with worship. And she was cooking in the kitchen. But on the side... I also had a little grain farm. See, I grew up on a grain farm in Saskatchewan. And I was just in my, if you farmed, it's kind of in your blood. You just, I love it. I, I love like harvest and seeding and all this stuff. And so, so I had this little grain farmer. And I say, if you want to grow in faith, well, let me put it this way. If you want to grow in, in patience, how do you grow in patience? You know how you grow in patience, and maybe this reference won't catch, catch on with you guys, but on the East Shore, we live on the ferry. Like, that is our essential connection to Nelson. And you know how you grow in patience? You pull up to the ferry terminal only to realize the big ferry's down, and it's the little ferry, and it's a two-sail wait. Speaking from experience. That's how you grow. You grow in patience by having to be patient. So how do you grow in faith? You farm. That's how you grow in faith. <laughs> you literally put tens of thousands of dollars of seed and fertilizer in the ground, and then you just have to wait. You do what you can, you put it in the ground, and then you just got to wait. Because you cannot control anything more. We weren't irrigation farmers, we were dry land farmers, so we really relied on the Lord to provide the rain, to provide the sun, and to make the crop grow. I can do very little in that process. Now, I remember the fall of 2019 particularly well on our grain farm. It was unreal that year. We had the timely rains. We had the timely sun. It just, it yielded unbelievable. I had a wheat crop that year that was so big, like... It, like I think the best yield I'd ever done, this number may not mean anything to you, done about 70 bushels per acre. This year did over 90 bushels per acre. It was almost 100. If those of you who farm, it was hard red spring wheat, it's not CPS. So again, I'm speaking farmer talk. I don't know if that means anything to you, but it was a phenomenal, my, my bins were all full and I had a 12,000 bushel pile of grain on the ground. I just had so much grain, I didn't know what to do with it. But there was one problem. It actually didn't dry that year. Now, if you know anything about grain, you've actually, before you store it, it's got to be a certain moisture percentage because if it's not, what happens is, is that there's enough moisture in that seed that when you put it in a bin and it's con contacting a bunch of other crop in there, it thinks, oh, it's time to grow. And so what will happen is, is that the seed will have enough moisture and it'll start to grow. There's nowhere for it to go and then it starts to rot. And in that process, it creates a tremendous amount of heat. Okay? So I had this big pile of grain on the ground. I had, oh man, I had 30,000, 40,000 bushels of wheat, which I was only farming like 
under 400 acres. Like it wasn't a lot. It was, it was, I was, I was just, it, I was a pretty small farm and I had all this wheat and I had to process all the stuff on the ground first because winter's coming. It's Alberta. There's going to be snow and there's going to be like, this is a balmy day today out in Alberta. Um, but this is going to be the weather. So I had to, I bought a grain dryer and I started to dry all my grain, which is very manual labor intensive. But so I'm loading the dryer and I'm drying and I finally get through the pile, okay, the ground pile. So it's into December now, and I'm starting to go into the bins, and I'm starting to dry what's in my grain bins now, okay? So I put the auger in. If you don't know what an auger is, it's basically like a big tube with a corkscrew that runs like this and takes grain out of it and will load it into whatever you want. And I'm loading the dryer at this point, and all of a sudden I noticed there's no grain coming out of the auger. Well, that's weird. So I crawl up on top of the dryer, and I look, and the auger's running, but nothing's coming out of it. And the little bit that did come out, because it run for a little bit, I reach down, and it is lava hot. I'm like, uh-oh, that's not good. So I get off the dryer. I crawl up to the top of the bin. And if you want to smell, the worst smelling thing in this world is rotten grain. And I'm overcome with the smell of rotten grain. It was awful. My kids and I, not too long ago, were talking about the last time they'd seen me cry, um, which I don't know why is that a conversation in our house, but anyways, it was. We were talking about why last time they saw me cry, and it was at that moment, because I went into our house, and I broke down, and I just sat in our back porch, and I wept, because this is what I discovered. That was my whole bin. I called it the Tower of Mold. Because I don't know if you know this, that's not what wheat is supposed to look like. That's mold, that's red, and that's rotten. And I was a small farmer, even though the crop that year was phenomenal. I'd had losses from years before. This was going to be my year to get ahead. And I couldn't afford, I mean, that was close to $40,000 in that one bin I would lose. And I couldn't take a hit like that. And so I wept. I want to read again from Lamentations 3.20. I will never forget this awful time as I grieve over my loss. This passage we read this morning, uh, scholars traditionally ascribe the book of Lamentations to the prophet Jeremiah. And Jeremiah is lamenting over the destruction of uh, of Jerusalem. Uh, this is a picture done by Rembrandt who painted, this is Jeremiah's lament, and you can't really see it great in here, but if you look in the far left, the city's burning, and if you can see a little closer, the king and, and people are being led off into exile. So what Jeremiah is talking about here is seeing his people being butchered, murdered, and some of them being led off. And not only is it just the people that he's lamenting, you have to understand because Babylon, when they did conquer Jerusalem, we talked about King um, Josiah earlier, right? And God bent time around that. But at this time, another evil king came in and that the Babylonians come in and destroy Jerusalem. And not only are they destroying the people, but they destroy the temple. Now you have to understand, if you're, you're a Jew in this era, you're known for being people of land, the promised land. And what is at the center of the promised land is Jerusalem. And what is at the center of Jerusalem? It's the temple. The temple signifies God's presence on earth. 
and it's destroyed right in front of you. So your people and your identity are gone after in this moment. And that's why Jeremiah writes these words, I will never forget this awful time as I grieve over my loss. As we look over the last few years here for Junction, for society, all of these things, do these words resonate with you? Has there been loss that you've experienced? I think if, if we're all being honest, I think we've probably all experienced a little bit of that, haven't we? Maybe if we look around the room, maybe there's not people here that were here four or five years ago. We've all experienced loss. Now, thankfully, the scripture this morning, and thank you again for reading that, it doesn't end here, right? There's a transition that happens here, and I'm going to read that. And I love these lines. This is some of my favorite scripture passages, because in light of the brokenness that Jeremiah is naming in this moment, he's able to pen these words. Yet I still dare to hope when I remember this. The faithful love of the Lord never ends. His mercies never cease. Great is his faithfulness. His mercies begin afresh each morning. I say to myself, the Lord is my inheritance. Therefore, I will hope in him. I want to return to that question I posed at the beginning. Why do we need to remember? I'm going to return here to my story of the rotten grain. I'm going to admit not all of my life experiences have turned out this way, and I think probably most of you in this room would name that as well, that not everything has a nice little bow and, and everything turns out perfectly. Uh, there are things in my life I continue to walk with that I'm asking for deliverance for, and, and I continue to have, have, have these things that I have to continue to walk with. But this story of the grain didn't end that way. So again, I shared I was overwhelmed. I went in the house sat down in our porch, cried. This bin is full of rotten grain. What do I do? Um, I called my dad and my brother-in-law. And uh, my brother-in-law is an agrologist, but I'll get into that a little bit later. But um, I actually was like, I don't know what I can do in this moment. What do I do with all this rotten grain? So I called my parents. And I said, this is going to sound weird, but can we lay hands on this bin and pray for it? This sounds just like totally a weird response, but they come over. We lay hands on that bin. We pray for it. So that's at night. I go to bed, but I don't really sleep all night because I am just churning on the inside, just feeling sick. And the next day, I come out to the grain bins and find this. It's perfect. That's what, that's what grain's supposed to look like. And I took pictures of these uh, to document this, but I, I, my brother-in-law, who was an agrologist, and for years he worked in an elevator, so he was buying and selling grain. Um, he, lived, he lived nearby. And he said in all of his years of doing that, he had never heard or seen of anything like this. I didn't lose a single bushel that year. Like, I, I, it was incredible. I delivered, and I'm not going to, someone, I, was, I, I shared this story with someone else before, and they're like, so what did you do after this moment? It was like, so I load, I dried it, because it wasn't dry, it still needed to be dried, but it, all the mold was gone. I dried it, 
load it into the grain truck, hold it to the elevator, and if you understand what they do at the elevator, you drive under this big, like, it's a probe, essentially, goes into your truck box, and it's like a little vacuum, and they take little samples throughout the box, make sure you're not hiding sand or whatever in the, in the grain, so you're not, and, and then they do tests, and again, they're probing, and I'm thinking, oh, they're going to catch me, they're onto this, like, this is, like, this is just, this isn't real, I don't trust this, but they took it, and again, Every bushel that year I sold. I didn't lose a single bushel. So again, the question, why do we need to remember? I need to remember this story because I'm going to be honest with you guys. Being an executive director of the harbor is hard. And I can't share what's going on, but this last week has been one of the hardest weeks of my life where there's things going on, decisions we had to make, where I was so physically ill, I couldn't eat. And I was throwing up because of the anguish of the things that we're having to move forward on. And it's not bad stuff, it's just, it's hard. I feel so often this whole journey is a journey of faith for us. Last year, we're running our discipleship school. We need six students to make it go. And we're in March and we have one application. And my board of directors is talking about pulling the plug on headwaters that year, the very thing that I moved my family out here for. You want to talk about fear, anxiety, like doubt? Man, that's why I need to remember the grain. Because God, like the prophet Jeremiah, God has not left me before. He has delivered me. When I remember the grain, I remember God's deliverance. Remember that he has been with me. And each one of you, if you can honestly take an assessment of your life, you're all still here. It doesn't make those hard moments like right. doesn't make what happened in those right. But what it does when we actually look back like the prophet Jeremiah, we can say, no matter what, yet I still dare to hope. I still dare to hope when I remember this, that God is faithful, that God has never left me that God is with me. And that means more to me than the grain turning. To be honest with you, I would rather have God's presence than have the good grain. It just happened to be that I got both in this story. Win-win. So why do we need to remember? We need to remember for two reasons. Number one, we need to remember that when we walk with Jesus, no matter the circumstances we find ourselves in, the unfailing love of God never ends. And by his mercy, we are kept from complete destruction. We need to remember because when we look back, he has never left or abandoned us. And number two, when we honestly remember, we're moved to gratitude. As the psalmist says in Psalm 100 verses 4 to 5, enter with the password, thank you. Make yourselves at home, talking praise. Thank him, worship him. For God is sheer beauty, all generous in love, loyal always and ever. I actually really think, as followers of Jesus, one of the key things that we should be marked by is a spirit of gratitude. I think when we go out into the marketplace, when we go out into the real world, if we are people marked by the gratitude for what God has done, that, more than anything else, will lead people to Jesus. When we are honestly thankful uh, just one story I, I want to end with. Um, you guys know the story of the 10 lepers. 
right? Do you guys know the story of the 10 lepers? It's in the New Testament. 10 of them come to Jesus. And, and if you know what leprosy is, it's like a skin disease and you lose feeling and then your, your, your limbs or whatever it has will start to fall off because you actually can't feel it. Um, and it was just, it was a huge issue in ancient day, in, in Jesus' time. And there was no cure for it. So 10 lepers come to Jesus asking for healing. What happens after that? Mark, can you speak that out loud? One came back and did what? Okay, and what does Jesus say to him? Okay, no, sorry, I'm putting you. Your faith, pardon? Yeah, where are the others? Yep, and your faith has made you well. Okay, so the word that's used in there, uh, the Greek word is sozo. Your faith has made you well. Sozo. One of the interpretations of sozo is wholeness. So I want you to think about this. This story, 10 people received healing, but only one received wholeness. And why was that? He was thankful. It was in his gratitude to Jesus, he received an even greater gift than that of healing. He received wholeness. Why do we need to remember? Because when we remember, we're led into wholeness when we practice gratitude. Lord, I thank you for this group this morning. I thank you for the opportunity to come and to share with them, God, what you are up to um, in my life. And, and just again, Lord, share a little bit more, God, what you are doing in theirs. God, I pray that as they honestly leave and reflect, Lord, that they would see evidence of you being in their lives all along their journey that's led them to even this moment. And God, would they be moved to gratitude and receive the wholeness that you have for them. Thank you again, Father, for letting me be here. Pray you bless this congregation, Lord in the steps, in the days to come, and all that's to happen here, Lord. Just so grateful we get to be here. Lord, I just ask you bless them. Amen.